Okay. All right. Okay. Very good. Very good. Okay. What is the purest form of service that one can render? What is the purest form of this? And what we're reminded of is there is something that I read every morning, and it's something that's that's very much a part of my morning routine, my morning prayer session. And this is on page 124. And on page 124, in the second paragraph that it that we see there, it says, this painful past may be of infinite value to other families still struggling with their problem. We think each family which has been relieved owes something to those who have not. And when the occasion requires, each member of it should be only too willing to bring former mistakes, no matter how grievous, out of their hiding places. Showing others who suffer how we were given help is the very thing which makes life seem so worthwhile to us now. Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you can avert death and misery for them. And as part of my daily reading, I'm reminded that we are, every one of us, very uniquely qualified to carry a message of life-giving information and identification to the people who are suffering tremendously from this disease. And each and every one of us has a story. No matter how much we think we don't have a story, indeed we do. We have some experiences due to this disease which can really help another person. And sometimes we think to ourselves that people are coming into the room for information. That's not true. They have libraries of information on weight loss and libraries of information out there that will tell them how to help themselves. You know, I bet if I came into just about any one of your homes right now, I would see displayed beautifully all manner of books on self-help, self-improvement, and for the love of God, every diet book probably ever written would be displayed in your home. So I would be willing to bet that you are not short of information. What we're really looking for here is we're looking for identification one to the other. And there are things about the secrets that you've kept, the things about the pain that you have felt, the shame that you have felt that are of infinite value in God's hands. And so I read that every morning of my life from page 124, because the things on page, that paragraph on page 124 reminds me of something I need to be reminded of, that there is a purpose under God's heaven. There is a purpose in God's world for all the pain and all the shame that all of us have felt, that all of us have endured. That said, let's go to page 94. And we're going to, because last week we took a detour, we did because it was Founders Day last weekend, June the 10th. And so we took that time to study just the history of AA. And today we're going to go back to our, um, we're going to go back to our chapter. 
We're on page 94 and it says outline the program of action. And we're looking at that first sentence and we need to, I need to be reminded all the time. It is in giving that I receive so much of the time. And before I begin this paragraph, and I'm giving you a minute to get there, I want to remind myself and you of what Clancy Immeslin so beautifully said to us. He said many times, I do not Learn this program by absorbing spiritual information. I learn this program by transmitting spiritual information. And it isn't in, in the transmission of that spiritual information that I become the person who is recovered. Because in teaching this to other people, it helps me. You know, from time to time, people will ask me, well, how in God's name, Harlan, do you remember what's on what page and what paragraph says what? And I'm not an expert. You know, Dr. Google, I can't compete with Dr. Google. You know that. But here's how I learned it very specifically, by answering the same question a million times. You know, what does this say? What You answer the same question. If I wanted to know something about fifth grade English or fifth grade math, hell, I'd ask a, a fifth grade teacher because they teach it so much. They learn it so thoroughly. Okay. Outline the program of action. Let's stop right there for just a second. Notice it doesn't say outline the program of thinking, outline the program of believing or knowing. It says outline the program of action, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, step four, how you straighten out your past, steps uh, uh, four through nine, and why you are endeavoring to be helpful to him, step 12. So a lot of times when people come into the program and we start to 12-step them, they have had a lifetime of suspicion because when people have done that in the past, what has happened is a lot of people have tried to sell them something or make them want to join a cult or a religion or something like that. What we need to do is to really reinforce to anybody that we're talking to. Oh, I'm going to let the next sentence answer your question because I don't want to answer it because my friend Bill Wilson, he has a better answer. And I just noticed the next sentence. I'm just going to read the next sentence. How does that sound? It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital part in your own recovery. And that takes a lot of the pressure out of this relationship that we have with a potential sponsee. No longer should they be wondering, am I trying to sell them something? Am I trying to get them to join a cult? Am I trying to get them to give me their firstborn? You know, whatever that might be. So here's why I'm trying to be helpful, because it plays a vital role in my recovery. Actually, he may be helping you more than you are helping him. Make it plain he is under no obligation to you and that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. And so I make that very, very clear to people. When I sponsor them, I make it very clear that my expectations of them do not go beyond this. 
you'll do your best to recover. And when you've recovered, if you take the prescribed actions in the book, that you yourself will turn around and help yet others. Very, very important that we do that. Suggest how important it is that he placed the welfare of other people ahead of his own. You know, this placing the welfare of other people ahead of our own is a is part of this altruism. And remember that we come from the Oxford group and the Oxford group was founded in 1921 by Frank Buckman. And Buckman, <clears throat> he understood the value after he went to China he, he understood the value of altruism. He understood that in the giving to other people with no expectation of return, you all of a sudden now come to God and come to the world on a different plane of existence. And what we see here so often, and I'm just going to cite a couple of things because I think that they're very important. The third step promises are what I'm first drawn to here, even though Dr. Silkworth calls this an altruistic movement. And even though there are references to it in other areas of the book, on page 63, it says, when we, a top paragraph, when we sincerely took such a position, what position is that? The position of God is going to be the God is going to be the principal, and I'm going to be the agent. In the state of Arizona, I have a real estate license. And as a realtor in Arizona, and I don't sell real estate, I work with a business broker. Uh, and that, if a real estate agent sells your house, we sell your business. So I have a real estate license in Arizona, and that means I am bound to a fiduciary duty with the principle of the of the transaction. What does that mean, fiduciary? That's kind of a fun word to say, fiduciary. What it means is I am legally bound to put the needs of others above my own. So in keeping with that, that's the position. Let's see where it says. It says, we had a new employer. All sorts of remarkable things have followed. We had a new employer. Being all powerful, that's God, not me. He provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So the more I sponsor and the more I do service in this program, the more I find that I don't maybe have what I want, but I want what I have and I have enough. You know, no matter what storm has passed my path, no matter what storm has rained on me, I don't miss a meal. I don't miss a mortgage payment. I don't miss anything like that. I have an abundance of what I need. I may not have what I want necessarily, but I certainly have what I need. And that's a miracle that I never could have brought about myself. Let's continue with this thought. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. Does that sound like what we're talking about? It sure does to me. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully. Now that phrase, we could face life successfully, was very foreign to me for a very long time because I always felt like a massive failure. 
I always felt like I was looking at the world through a fence and I was looking at everybody and they were enjoying their life and they were, you know, doing what they were doing. But somehow I felt very excluded and I have to work constantly against that temptation to feel that way because I have what I need. I have a good life. You know, but I have to work at it constantly. I have to do gratitude lists and I have to pray because this is something that will entice me into self-pity. It will entice me into victimitis. It will entice me into these negative thoughts and negativity breeds amnesia. And I will forget that I have a recovery. I will forget how to do a 10 step. I will forget how to do the things that I need to do. And so it's a constant, constant bad against my ego because my ego wants me to you know feel that way that that self-pity and that that victimitis that's my default mode so I need to keep constantly working back against it and sometimes I'm a little more successful than I am at other times too but I have to keep working in it I'm a work in progress too all right. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. On page 77 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. In other areas of the book, it tells me that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic will save the day. In, another, in other parts of the book, it tells me that if I feel I shouldn't go someplace because of its sordid, tempting uh, atmosphere, that maybe I had better work with someone instead. So these are various ways that God is telling me over and over and over again what it so eloquently says on page 89. And on page 89 of the big book, in the very first sentence of this chapter, Working with Others, it says, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. Nothing will ensure immunity. And that also answers another question that so many of us have. And the question is, Harlan, why do you keep talking about working through the steps very fast, very quickly? And the reason that I keep harping on that is you need to, as sponsors, you need to get people to the point where they are sponsoring as absolutely quickly as you can. Because again, Nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. Very, very important for us to keep in mind that this is a major, major promise in the book. Let's go back. Okay, it says we're on page 94. Make it clear that he is not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he has helped you more than you have helped him. If your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you have perhaps made a friend. 
Maybe you have disturbed him about the question of alcoholism. That is all to, this is all to the good. The more hopeless he feels, the better he will be more likely to follow your suggestions. The more hopeless I am, the more resigned I will be to do what you're telling me to do. And I'm gonna go back to Clancy Immisland again. I wanna give credit where credit is due. Clancy says, oftentimes, he says, when one alcoholic talks to a second alcoholic, so that the second alcoholic's feelings of differences begin to subside, and the second alcoholic will begin to take action after action after action after action that he does not yet believe in. This is the moment when recovery can take place. Because as soon as the second alcoholic starts taking that action, he is now on his way to a recovery. Because remember, it's not about what you think. It's not about what you believe. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do. It's an action program. There is no chapter into understanding or into thinking or into believing. It's into action. Okay. Your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all of the program. He may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning, which requires discussion with other people. Steps four and five. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does. Identification, once again. Now that when you can tell someone about your experience with it, now you become a very powerful tool. Now you become a very powerful, powerful instrument in God's hands. We do not preach to people. We share with people. We do not teach them the program. We share the program. We demonstrate the program. Okay. Very, very important uh, differences. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does. That's a very a very uh, specific instruction that you felt that way too. If you didn't feel that way, then don't say it. Just say others have felt that way. Don't, don't, don't lie to them. But you doubt whether you would have made much progress had you not taken action. All that's required is that you take the action. On your first visit, tell him about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, lend him your copy of this book. That's a little hard to do now because so many people are sponsored remotely. Um, I know from my experiences, honestly, that most of us sponsor people that don't live anywhere near us. We do sponsoring on the phone, which I'm sure they couldn't have seen. And we do sponsorship via Zoom. We do sponsorship via the internet and so on. And so lending them a copy of your book is not as um, prevalent. It's not as easy to do today as it was in the days when these guys all lived in the same area. You know, they all lived either in Akron or they lived in New York. So the bottom line is, is um, uh, it's a little harder to do that. Let's go up to page 95. Unless your friend wants to talk further about himself, do not wear out your welcome. In other words, if they don't want to discuss this, leave them alone. Leave them alone. How do you say that in Yiddish? 
Lozum gain, lozum gain. You want to leave them alone and you don't want to spoil a future chance. Okay. So you really don't want to do that. Okay. Give him a chance. I'm at the top of 95, second sentence. Give him a chance to think it over. If you do stay, let him steer the conversation in any direction he likes. And a lot of times when I'm talking to someone that's brand new, they will go on a soliloquy of why they can't work the program, why the program won't work for them. That's one of the most common things. And that's just coming from their fear. Remember, that to us who are here this morning and to you, if you're listening on the podcasts, you are at least somewhat familiar with Overeaters Anonymous. You've been to at least this meeting, if not many, many other meetings. You've done steps. I assume you've been to, you know, you've been through some of the uh, activities of program, but to a person who's just jumping into the abyss, they are scared. And so they go on these uh, soliloquies of why they can't do this and why they can't do that. I listen for a while and I say, you know, I tell them I felt exactly the same way. I just felt like, well, this isn't going to work for me. You know, I'll let you in on a secret. Don't tell anyone, though. There's like 140 people, 141 people here right now. Um, don't tell anyone. When I first did this and I first started taking these actions, I was doing it just to prove to myself that it wasn't going to work for me. And that's how I got hooked into it. Because in doing the action, it started working for me. And that was a beautiful thing. That was an absolutely beautiful thing. That through my tempestuous ego, through my tempestuous level of crazy, I started to recover because I was taking those actions. Sometimes a new man is anxious to proceed at once and you may be tempted to let him do so. This is sometimes a mistake. If he has trouble later, he is likely to say you rushed him. You will be most successful with alcoholics if you do not exhibit any passion for crusade or reform. Some of what they're referring to here is you have to remember something in its historical context. This book was written in 1937, 38, and 39, and it was published on April the 10th, 1939. These guys were just a few years past prohibition. Now, last week, we talked about the prohibition movement from 1920 to 1933. Prohibition was the law of the land. And all these guys spent their adult years during prohibition. What is prohibition? It is the prohibitance of the manufacture and sale of alcohol in the United States. But a lot of these guys came from in their childhood and in their adulthood, they came from the WCTW, the Women's Christians Temperance Union. None of them can remember, obviously, the Washingtonians from the 1840s. But what they remember is the Women's Christian Temperance Union. Where I lived in Chicago, we were very near Evanston, Illinois. And I have memories of Evanston being dry up until the time I was in my 20s. And then there was a Hilton that wanted to go into Evanston. And they said, we're not building the hotel unless you give us a liquor license. And so Evanston, Illinois was dry up until the time I was in my 20s. And I can remember uh, when you'd fly over the state of Kansas, 
if you flew over Kansas airspace, they would collect the liquor in the plane. They would, you could not drink liquor over Kansas. You were, you were done. That was it. And Kansas was a dry state. And there were areas in North Carolina. There were areas in Virginia. There were areas in other states that were dry as a bone, no liquor. So these guys were coming out of that era. And that's why they want to remind you not to exhibit a passion for crusade or reform. There was a woman from Evanston, Illinois named Carrie Nation. She was not the founder of the WCTW, but she was one of its big advocates. And she got arrested like 40 times. She would go in with an axe and she would chop the bar and break the bottles of booze. And, you know, they were the ones that marched in the streets. Uh, Lips that touch liquor will never touch mine. And, you know, they were very, very active in their crusade against the drinking and consumption. Well, consumption and drinking are the same thing. They were very against the drinking of any liquor whatsoever. So these guys remembered that. And this is what they're talking about when they say this in the book. Never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Don't sit and talk to them about God. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. What are the spiritual tools? They are the steps. Show him how they work for you. You know, just basically offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. Now, these are what we call the three ifs. You may want to write that in your book on page 95. This is the three ifs. And these three ifs are worth noting. And we're going to go over all three of them this morning. Let's start with the first if on page 95. The first if is if he is not interested in your solution, if he expects you to act only as a banker for his financial difficulties, or a nurse for his sprees, you may have to drop him until he changes his mind. This he may do, he, he may do after he gets hurt some more. Now you have to remember that you have an agenda. Your agenda is to pass to this person your recovery. Why do you have this agenda? Because it is absolutely vital in your own recovery is to pass this, teach this, demonstrate this to others. Now, they also may have an agenda. They may see that you want to be their friend. They may see that you're unusually nice to them. They may see that you are very accommodating to them. They may have an agenda that is less than above board. It may be rather nefarious. I don't know. So you have to know that if this is what you're picking up, you do not have to do that. You are not a banker. You are not a nursemaid. You are not a soup kitchen. You are none of those things. The second if, if he is sincerely interested and wants to see you again, ask him to read this book in the interval. Very simple. Read the book. And when you're done with the book, I'm here. You know, that's, it, it's that simple. After doing that, he must decide for himself whether he wants to go on. He should not be pushed or prodded by you, his wife, or his friends. If he is to find God, the desire must come from within. And the only way that desire is going to be within a person 
is when they have suffered an enormous amount of pain. Pain is not the best motivator. Pain is the only motivator. You have to really suffer pain in this program, in this life, forget about the program. You have to really have suffered pain. The secrets, the shame, the guilt, the remorse, the horror of this disease must have pervaded every cell of your being and it must have spilled out to those that you love. And only then will you submit because for the ego to submit to God, it takes a Herculean amount of effort and it doesn't take that much effort to work the steps. But the effort that I'm talking about is the effort that you, you uh, display in living with this disease for as long as we have lived with this disease because we feared the recovery. We feared the unknown. So experience is a great teacher. No, it's the only teacher. Is pain a great motivator? No, it's the only motivator. Pain is the only motivator here. Let's go to the third if. If he thinks he can do the job in some other way or prefers some other spiritual approach, encourage him to follow his own conscience. He's going to anyway. He's going to anyway. We have no monopoly on God. We merely have an approach that work with us. But, the, but point out that we alcoholics have much in common and that you would like in any case to be friendly, let it go at that. One of the things that's most important here is to let it go at that. Don't chase after them. Don't do it because it's counterproductive and it robs you and the next prospect that you might run into of having your guidance as they try to recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Now, one of the most common things that I hear in meetings almost every day of my life is I hear people talking to me about people that they're sponsoring that will not do what they tell them to do. I didn't use the word cannot because I'm not a believer in can and can't. I do have the utmost respect for will and won't. Will and won't, I am a believer in, but no one is so damaged that they can't do the program. You have all, there's 151 of you here. You have all put down the food for more than a day or two on your own with no program whatsoever, no, no help from anybody, nothing. You've all dieted for, for days on end. I know for a fact you have, or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. So when we ask people to give up the food for a couple of days and then we're going to get started, don't listen to can't. And then the, my favorite is the chronic relapser. Oh, I'm a chronic relapser. I hear this every day. I'm a chronic relapser. Well, if you want different, you got to do different. So the sponsor thinks if they make martyrs out of themselves often and they hang in there with Fred or hang in there with Mary, that somehow they're going to get an award or something. 
you can actually do more damage than you're aware of by doing that. Now let's go to the top of page 96 and let's see the very specific instruction as to what to do when you're faced and you will be as a sponsor, you will be faced with the situation where you're trying to sponsor Joe or Mary or Fred or Linda, whoever that might be. And they just keep picking up the food and they just don't do this and they don't do this or they eat this or they eat that. What are you supposed to do? Let's find out together. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. Want me to read that again? Because I know it's, I know it's foreign information. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, Yiddish word of the day, lozum gain, leave them alone, he may soon become convinced he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chance. Very, very important information here that really teaches us a lot. And what it teaches us is sometimes discretion is the better part of valor. And that sometimes when we want to hang in there with somebody, we want to hang in there with somebody, we're actually doing them more harm than good. They need to hear a different voice. They need to hear a different voice means they need to hear this from somebody else. Very, very important. And I know it says in chapter three, more about alcoholism, that one of the guys, he relapsed, he got drunk six times in succession. Notice it doesn't say I worked with him. It says we worked with him. In other words, they passed him around from sponsor to sponsor to sponsor. They didn't say, I worked with him. They said, we worked with him. Very, very important. And we're afraid we're not going to be liked or we're afraid of what they're going to think when if we drop them. I would rather have you mad at me and alive than loving me and dead. I would rather have you hating me and be alive than loving me and be dead. So it is very important that you be, as a sponsor, the adult in the room. You have to be that adult. You have to make that decision, or you're turning a decision over to the sickest of the sick. You're turning it over to someone who is still in the food. You're turning that decision over to someone 
who is incapable of knowing left from right the person who is still in the food. The problem with the food is you think you know the difference between left and right, and you don't oftentimes because the food muddles your judgment. It muddles your thinking. Whoops, I didn't used to spill water on myself. I'm getting old here. Okay, suppose now that you are making your second visit to a man. He has read this volume and says he is prepared to go through the, with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. Having had the experience yourself, you can give him much practical advice. Let him know you are available if he wishes to make a decision, step three, and tell his story. But do not insist upon it if he prefers to consult someone else. In other words, don't take any of it personally. This is not personal. It says in The Godfather, my favorite movie of all time is The Godfather. And uh, he says, it's not personal. It's business. And he says, BS, you know, the shooting of my father was, was, was business. He says, strictly business. And then the, the other brother says, no. It's not personal, it's strictly business. And then they move on and they regain their territory, but it's not personal, it's business. Okay, he may be broke and homeless. If he is, you might try to help him about getting a job or give him a little financial assistance, but you should not deprive your family or creditors of money they should have. That's a very explicit instruction. If you owe Ninth Step Amend money, that goes first. If you have bills to pay, that not paying them is going to affect your family. You pay your bills first. You take care of your own obligation. If you've ever flown on an airplane, guys, there is a beautiful Al-Anon meeting at the very beginning of any flight. And at the beginning of the flight, what do they tell you to do? They say, put your mask on first before helping your child. If your mask is not on, if your mask is not firmly attached to your face and you're not getting oxygen, how are you gonna help someone else? It cannot be done. And if you've ever been in a water safety class, a lifeguard class, there is a strong tendency of the drowning to drag the rescuer down with them. And so many of the lifeguard instructions are how to break the hold of the person who is drowning so you yourself do not drown. Very, very important stuff because if they kill you, now there's two dead at the scene instead of one. Do you need to get drunk too? Gosh, I hope not. Do you need to eat too? Gosh, I hope not. And you have to draw these lines. Perhaps you will want to take the man into your home for a few days. Not necessarily what we do today. They did it then. They don't necessarily, we don't necessarily do that today. There is not any instance I have of having someone come to stay at my house for any length of time or anything like that. As I say, again, 
even though we've only been on Zoom for now, what, three years, a little over three years, even when we were going to meetings at the North Scottsdale Fellowship Club or wherever you go to meetings, I used to go to meetings at Swedish Covenant in Chicago, and I've gone to meetings at Highland Park Hospital, the 10 o'clock Sunday morning meeting and Buffalo Grove and Deerfield and the Deerfield Library. That was a big meeting on Monday night. But anyway, <clears throat> that said, bottom line is, is that... Um, we don't normally do that today. We don't normally do that today. But the situation still remains. You've got to take care of recovery first. Be certain he will be welcomed by your, but please be sure to use your discretion. Be certain he will be welcomed by your family and that he is not trying to impose upon you for money, connections, or shelter. Be very careful. Permit that and you only harm him. I'm going to read that sentence two more times. Not forget about him living with you. I want you to listen to what I'm saying here. If you are overly enabling him, overly enabling him, not holding their feet to the fire, not making them do the steps, not, not making yourself the adult in the room, permit that and you will only harm him. Permit codependence here and you will only harm him. Okay, you will be making it possible for him to be insincere. You may be aiding in his destruction rather than in his recovery. Again, this is business, not personal. You have to hold their feet to the fire. If they're not doing the things consistent with recovery, you are harming them. You are not helping them. I promise you, you will get further in your own recovery if you will not co-sign someone's BS. Co-signing someone's BS is not helping anyone. Top of 97, never avoid these responsibilities. Be, be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Altruism, service. Our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. Dr. Silkworth calls it an altruistic movement. Bill Wilson tells us that when all other measures fail, work with another alcoholic will save the day. On page 89, the big book tells us nothing ensures immunity from drinking like intensive work with other alcoholics. Need I go on and on? Because there are a zillion other references to this theme in the book and in the stories in the back. Very, very important. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. I sponsor every day. I am sponsored every day. I have two sponsors actually now, but I am sponsored every single day and I sponsor every single day. I make and take outreach calls every day. I answer questions every day. I do what I can to serve this organization in serving God. I get to recover myself every single day. I cringe when I hear this, my sponsor's out of town, so I have to call someone else. Really? Your sponsor's out of town, 
You don't have a cell phone that goes anywhere. You know, last night on our meeting, we have a, uh, usually have a speaker, not always, but usually we have a speaker on Friday night. And if you weren't on the Scottsdale meeting last night, you missed out on a good speaker. But anyway, we had people from South Korea, New Zealand, Australia, Brazil, um, Greece. I mean, we had people from all over God's creation. It was incredible. We had really a beautiful gathering of people from everywhere on the planet. We had people from, from Georgia to Washington State. We had them from California all the way to Massachusetts. So we had a tremendous um, mix of people geographically dispersed. My cell phone goes anywhere and everywhere. I bet yours does too. I bet mine's not the only one that goes everywhere. And now you can even call Canada and Mexico for free. I mean, on my plan, and there's WhatsApp, and there's all kinds of other things that you can plug into, and you can you can plug into people all over the world. It's not that difficult to do. So it's very important that we don't do that. I'm going out of town. I'm going here. You still have this disease. You still have this disease. Okay. It may mean the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have the you may have to fight with him as he if he is violent. Sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his directions. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you'll have to meet such conditions. Very very unlikely that you will meet any of those conditions today. Very, very unlikely. And the nature of food addiction is a little different than what they're describing here. There is, there is differences. There are some differences. You probably will not have to administer sedatives to somebody or something like that. I've been in this program 44 years, and that has definitely not been my experience that I've had to do that. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It's not good for him, and it sometimes creates serious complications for a family. You know what they say, house guests are like fish. Three days out, they have to go. You know, you wrap them up in newspaper, and all the young people are saying, what's a newspaper? Well, if you don't know what a newspaper is, maybe it's time I just jumped off the building because I know what one is. I used to deliver the Chicago American seven cents a copy for the daily paper and 25 cents for the Sunday. I was in Chicago not long ago and paid $6 for a Chicago Tribune. I almost, I almost had, I almost had a heart attack. $6 for a paper? Are you freaking kidding me? I subscribe to their website for 44 bucks a month. I can read 30 papers for 44 bucks. But this is, I wanted the actual paper because I hadn't read it for a long time. Though an alcoholic does not respond, 
There's no reason why you should neglect his family. You should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles? There is, much, is a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. Not likely you're going to have a contact with a guy's family, not him. It's very unlikely. Again, the world is a, is a you know, most of it is the same. Most of it is identical. There are some things that have changed since 1939 uh, into our world today. It's, it's just a, a wee bit different. For the type of alcoholic who is able and willing to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it is not. Now, the next paragraph is what I call, the next two paragraphs are what I call life's priorities. Priorities. We're not going to actually see the word or say the word priority, but we are going to hear the word priority in our mind if we're thinking. It says, it is not a matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. Give of yourself for sure. This That often makes the difference between failure and success. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. You know, if you think of stray cats or raccoons or any animal, if you feed them, you think you're helping them. You think you're helping them. Okay, maybe the cat I'll take out of the equation. But there are people they feed wild geese, they feed feed ducks, they feed uh, raccoons, they you know whatever that may be, possums, whatever that may be. And you think you're helping them, but you're really not. The reason you're not helping them is you're eradicating their ability to go out and find food on their own. These animals have survived for hundreds of thousands of years before you and your peanut butter and jelly came along and before you and your peanuts or your popcorn or your crackers or your white bread that's stale and you're just throwing it up. These animals survived for thousands and thousands and thousands of years before we came along with our garbage food. And I have a friend who unfortunately has passed away, but two of his daughters, two of them, are veterinarians, two of them. That's pretty lofty, two of your kids. And you know what they told me? People think they're helping these birds, but they're killing them. And the reason that they're killing them is this. When you take white bread or popcorn or peanuts or something, and you feed it to those ducks and geese, those ducks and geese have a stomach that's full and they no longer have the desire to go out and eat. But what you're doing is you're filling them with garbage that is not nutritious to them at all. They're getting no nutrition from the popcorn that you're throwing out your patio door. And so they literally will starve to death because you're filling their stomachs with popcorn 
and they need protein, they need fish, they need whatever it is they need, and you're killing them. So in our zeal to have them like us, we're actually killing them. We're killing them. It's the same thing here. We're so desperate to be liked that we don't hold people's feet to the fire and they die. They die. The food is a death. The food is, is, is a death. It's actually probably worse. It's a living death. It's, it's a living, it's, it's living a, a life that's unfulfilled. The food is a life unlived. I live my life now. I can't live my life when I'm eating milk duds. I just can't do it. Okay. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Shortest sentence in the book. It's a one-word sentence, and it says bullshit. Oh, sorry. Nonsense. It says nonsense. There is no greater priority in the world than my recovery. Money does not take place. I think it does. You know, if I had this money and I had a Maserati, I would be in recovery. No, you. No, I would not. If I had this friend or this girlfriend or this house or this car, or if I lived here, I did this, I'd have a perfect life. No, I would not. Recovery is not having what you want. Recovery is wanting what you have. Recovery is getting up every morning without the guilt and the shame and the cloak of, of horrible guilt and shame of what I ate the day before. I jump out of bed and I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad to be alive and I have nothing to feel guilty about what pizza did I order? What milk does? What, what uh, Carl's Jr. Carl's hot dog did I eat in South Shore? What did I eat yesterday? I don't have to feel like crap <clears throat> because I went to the South Shore area there and got a Carl's hot dog. No, I didn't do that. There's someone here that's probably laughing. But the bottom line is, is that I don't have to worry about that. I didn't do it. Let's continue. Let's finish the paragraph and then we'll be done. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we, de we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. I'm going to read that again. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence on God. Burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. Don't sit and tell me about your wife or your girlfriend or your banker or your whatever. I don't want to hear it. The only condition is that he trusts God and clean house. That's it. So it's priorities. Don't sit and give me a booby mindset. A booby mindset is a story. Don't give me a story why you can't recover because your wife's mother is a witch. Don't tell me that. Don't sit and tell me because you can't recover because your father's 
brother beat you up when you were eight years old. I don't want to hear it. That'll come out in your inventory, but that's not a reason you can't recover. You will or you won't. Now, before I turn this back over to I don't know who, I want you to be thinking about this. Do you think we should move this to about 8 o'clock a.m. Pacific time? That way, it's only 11 o'clock.